Welcome to another episode of the podcast, and it's great to have you here. Our guests today are Adarian Barr and Jen Pilati. Adarian is a former college track and field coach who is now a movement consultant and educator. He's been a multi-time guest on this show, and he's absolutely one of my biggest influences in the way I observe and coach athletic movement and sports skills. Jen Pilati is a movement coach, an author, and an educator. She's been studying the principles of movement for over two decades. Jen's own movement disciplines range from running to dance to aerial arts and more, and she regularly lectures and teaches workshops for movement educators and those curious about movement. Together, the two co-authored the book, Let Me Introduce You. On the podcast today, we'll be getting pretty heavily into training the feet and locomotion. And when it comes to training the feet, a lot of times we just think, we'll just go barefoot a little bit more often. And, and that is a good thing to do. But there's a lot more nuance to training the feet in context of our human movement than just that. There's a lot more nuance to just producing force into the ground. Great athletes use their feet well. They manage collisions well. They manage pressure well. And we'll be talking about that and a whole lot more on the podcast today. I really enjoyed this conversation. I know you guys will as well. And talking with Adarian is always something that stretches my brain. Having Jen on the show was an amazing addition. It's always interesting to get different people's perspectives on Adarian's work. And she's spent an awful lot of time, uh, especially in the context of writing the book with him. So I know you guys will enjoy this conversation. It was super informative. Before we get started with the show, I wanted to share a little bit about our show's three sponsors. The first is Lost Empire Herbs. Performance herbalism has been an absolute game changer for me, and I know it can be for you too. When we think of supplements, we probably think of the typical supplement store, processed protein, processed pre-workouts. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things. I certainly love a good protein supplement. But for me, the closer that I can get to nature, the less ingredients that are on the can, the less steps between the ground and to my doorstep, the better. And that's one of the reasons I love Lost Empire Herbs so much. I've had tremendous success, results, even the way my body has felt after using their products, things such as the Phoenix Formula, Shilajit, and others. And my clients have seen that as well. It's something I recommend um, not just to you guys, but also to people that I work with. And so if you want to get 15% off your order, you can head to lostempireherbs.com slash just fly. If you want to try Pine Pollen, one of their flagship products for free, with just the modest cost of shipping, head to justflypinepollen.com. Our next sponsor is Exogen Wearable Resistance by Lila. Exogen is true artistry when it comes to resistance training. Exogen features microweights that you can selectively strap onto your body via things like shin or calf sleeves. And you can create the exact training effect, exact resistance effect that you want that fits exactly with the sports skills you're training. It feels like a second skin. And the creativity you can achieve with it is just tremendous. Uh, some of the spirals, the asymmetry, Chris Corfist, a previous guest, talked about using it with asymmetry, for example. There's so much you can do with it. And I truly look forward to every training session that I go out and do with the Lila gear because I know that not only am I going to get a great workout, I'm going to be able to use the potentiation from the gear, but I also am going to learn something about how my body operates because you can spin, spiral, and align these weights in so many unique ways. So if you want to learn more about the Exogen gear and you can also get 15% off your order, head to lilateam.com. That's L-I-L-A team.com. And then you can use the code JFS2023 to grab that 15% off your order. Our last sponsor is actually an announcement. 
And that's just to remind you all or inform you if you haven't heard that the Elastic Essentials Level 2 in-person seminar is being held July 14th and 15th here in Cincinnati, Ohio. You can grab the early bird for seven more weeks after the date of this podcast release into the end of May. And it's a great hands-on learning opportunity. I've gotten so much great feedback from people who have attended the summer and winter seminars that I did last year. And I'd really be excited to see you there in Cincinnati. Spots are filling up, so make sure you grab your spot today. And again, you can take advantage of that early bird price. All that being said, let's get on to the podcast here with Adarian Barr and Jen Pilati. Jen, Adarian, awesome to have you on the show. Can we get started by just the story of how you two met and how the process of how you started working together? Sure. So my friend, Chris Ruffalo, runs this kind of collaborative thing called Think Movement. And in 2020, June of 2020, she wanted to have a get together at my place, my studio, which I still had. And I said, sure. And she said, I'm going to bring a couple of other people. Is that okay? I was like, yeah, it's totally fine. And I was presenting first thing in the morning. And then this other guy, Darian, who I did not know, was presenting after me. This is one of the people she invited. So I do my thing. I talk about the foot, nonetheless. <laughs> and, then a, <laughs> and then a Darian gets up and was kind enough not to like totally destroy what I had just said. <laughs> <laughs> but he finished and I'm like, okay, this dude knows more than I do, which is really irritating. And I want to know like what it is that he knows. And that was sort of how it all started. Yeah, that was how uh, kind of, yeah, I got yeah, Chris had called Chris had emailed me and, and said, Hey, you don't know me. And I just find I didn't know Chris. But she was like, You don't know me, but I got this thing that's gonna be in down in Monterey. And she's like, Would you mind coming and presenting? And I just got uh the motorcycle something like yeah I, I just got the motorcycle right down to monterey cool you know and she's like you know it's free when i pay anything i'm like okay you know she's like, will you come i said yeah i'll come and she's like what do you want to talk about and i and like i didn't know anybody else there I, I, I didn't even know chris i just knew i was going to this thing so <laughs> so then after that you know it was I, I you know we kept on talking and stuff and and everything and then we did like a presentation together and she kept telling me, like, you, you know, we need to write a book. And I'm like, I don't do books. You know, we need to, I don't do books. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and then finally, I was like, okay, let's do a book. But uh, it, it came about, too, because, like, for, like, when we started doing, you know, webinars together over the, the pandemic and everything, it was like, she would ask the right question. So and that's kind of started. And, yeah, and so then we just did the book. Yeah, it was, it was good uh, in reading through it too. And I'm, I'm sure we'll chat about it again briefly towards the end of the show. But in my time with you, Adarian, you had mentioned a lot of the things that are in the book. And I, it was like, like if you mentioned like complementary pairs or things work in pairs, and I would be like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> I kinda, and then I would, I would kind of <laughs> learn by doing over the years. But it's really nice to see it in print. Like I'm a person who likes... I by far do the best reading and reflecting initially. Like I'm a reader and a reflector. And that's is it is and I'm I am a kinesthetic learner too, but I, I really it's kind of cool to see how it's just all this stuff that you talked about. It's like it's there. It's like, okay, like it's it's in print, there's pictures, it's it's great. So uh yeah, kudos to you for finally putting that together. You know, and, and maybe we could talk a little bit more about that process towards the end of things, but maybe we can kind of kick this off because I wanted to go through some of the core the core concepts of the book. And like I mentioned, like complementary pairs, like all these things that are 
fundamental just to move whether it's sprinting jumping running whatever you're doing it's fundamental to all of it and so but maybe let's kick this off by jim uh, tell me a little bit about that foot conversation so what were you presenting like tell if you remember back what were you presenting and then tell me about the process tell me about the process of digging in there that that you're like oh okay and you talked to darian and, and and tell me about how that conversation went and a little bit about how that led you to where you are now so i presented on the connection between the foot to the pelvis which is something i have been studying at nauseum for like probably a decade And I did a very experiential, like kind of somatic based body mapping type movement session. And then Adarian gets up after me and he focuses only on the lateral longitudinal arch. And I'm like, this is, why is this blowing my mind right now? And why is this like, why is this making everything feel so different? So the next morning I went for a run because I run and I used it and I was like, okay, there's something here. And why hasn't anybody taught me this before? (laughs) Which just led to questions. And I have so many questions. I, you know, and Adarian has been very patient with me because as he said, I, I ask a lot of them because I want to know how to get from A to B to C to D to E. Yeah. So with that, tell me a little bit about that though. I mean, cause that was, I think the process for me so often, even something like squatted running for me, like, and I was always, I, I, we've, had these conversations on this show before, but like I was always of the common, like in sprinting, the common sprint crowd run tall. And I always, I tried every cue in the book and to do my flying <laughs> 10 meters and it never, no cue ever helped me to run any faster. In fact, usually they made me slower and I'd be like, I would just be like, what's wrong with me? Like, you know, and then I would do some lower hip height running with just a little bit lowered center of mass. That's like, wow, I really feel my glutes now. This is amazing. And then I saw Darian posting a squatting running video and that like just, I was like, okay, there is something that is very powerful here. And I had to experience it and feel it. And then you, you feel it and you know, there's something there and now you want to learn more about it. And so with your, uh, with the lateral, tell me about that and how, like, what did you notice? What did you connect in the running? And then where did that go from there? And and the foot to hip thing is still, I'm still intrigued by that too. I'm, I'm actually curious as to your original take there, but tell me a little bit more about that lateral arch and what you were noticing that took you forward with that. So, and Adarian very simply said, reach the pinky toe long and away from the foot, right? To get the lateral longitudinal arch to form. So when I went on my run the next morning, that's what I did. I focused on keeping the pinky toe long and reaching it a little bit away from the foot. And it created a very different impact with the ground. And I was wearing my running watch so I could see that my mile splits were, and my mile splits had been all over for a long time and they had not been consistent. But I had like a three mile chunk where my mile splits were within like Hmm. eight seconds of each other. I'm like, this is interesting. And I'm not working any harder. And I'd been trying all kinds of things with running. And I, I've been running since I was 16. So I've spent yeah. a lot of time playing with running. <laughs> so that was how that all kind of like started. And then as I dug into it, and what Darian and I collaborated on next actually didn't have to do with the foot, but it did have to do with the pelvis. He talked a little bit about, and I can't remember exactly how he phrased it, but it was like, it was almost like closing the pelvis and opening the pelvis, kind of this compression and expansion of that area. And when we did that in the workshop that we collaborated on, and then when I took that again into running, I was like, this is interesting. If I fold the hip one way, 
as I use my foot using the lateral longitudinal arch, I feel this very fluid, more rhythmic movement than I had been getting. So that was kind of how it all began. Yeah. It does strike me too that, oh, Darren, did you have anything to add on to that? No, no, I was going to say just kind of like the time we was at the track and cow and I remember you, you, you was working on squat and I said, you know, you wanted to do finish up with like a, a quarter mile. I said, go just try squat it. And then from Joe's face, he was like, it's not normal anymore, you know, but it was just look on his face and like, this is not. I might go run a squatted 400 again, honestly, just for fun. That was, it was funny too, because I feel like I remember Kevin and I, I forget. Chantel was was running that with me, and you kept saying, "Get lower, get lower." Like you know, it, it's like I don't know how squatted. Like it was kind of like really squatted for fifty, and then about maybe two hundred of not as much, but trying. And then it's like, oh, we're getting back close to a Darien, so we'll. Try. And I, dude, I was, I was dead, man. But it was it was good because that yeah, like a week later or not too much longer later, I ran the fastest fl- ten fly split that I had in. Honestly, ever since I've been measuring, I was maybe a little faster, you know, 10 years ago on a good day when I wasn't thinking about how to sprint, you know, type thing. But it was, it was, it was awesome. And so anyways, I was going to say too, Jen, you know, with, with a lot of the things in your perception of it, you know, I, I think about how people learn too. And I mentioned for me, like, I, I do like to see things in a book and I like to have the intellectual frame, but a lot of learning from Adarian was based on the kinesthetic side. And I think uh, sometimes, too, how we just like to learn or acquire knowledge in general. Like, a lot of times it's, well, is it in a research paper? Is it peer-reviewed? Is it uh, societally accepted? So, but then you're in your own body doing something and your body is telling you something different. And then it's like, okay, well, I need to find why this is. You know, I need to ask questions. And I know I, we both, yeah, we both had that experience. And so, I, you know, I was going to say, like, it does see watching your, like, a lot of your videos, it is, like, you seem like someone who's very attuned to some of the slower, like, like being able to really slow things down. Um, I've had, like, Feldenkrais type folk on the show. And it is, I don't think that's everybody's learning style. I know I, I will do it. I struggle with that. But maybe just tell me a little bit, too. And, and I would like to keep kind of going on that foot, the foot topic uh, as well. But I do think that Sometimes there can be a disconnect. I know, you know, Darren, you've done a ton of stuff with like the palo stick. I'll watch you doing things on one leg. And I can tell there's a lot of feeling and sensing going on there. Like you are feeling things happening in your body. Someone might just watch that on Instagram and be like, well, what's going on? You know, and, and we are so used to just like, like very big. And I think there's a spectrum. There are the big, like explosive, high force, high output, flat. I don't want to say flashy, but just the things that you, you could say they're the very like, masculine out expansive side that's very easy to recognize and then the other side you have all the the more inner i guess you call the feminine or just the soft side where it's more exploratory and i think i don't i think people will cater towards one side or the other but i think the problem is is just people only stick on one side they only are attracted to one and they don't really spend some time you know like even if even if you don't like it like just to do a little bit of it, you know, just to feel how your body wants to move just a little, because that is something that does transcend, uh, like, just like, oh, I need, like, just the the pure intellectual side of the things. And I think we need to embrace them all. But anyways, I'm just curious, long-winded, I was just going to ask Jen, you're, maybe you're expanding on that, because there's someone else who's learned from a Darian and someone who, I could tell in watching your videos, you are very good at the soft side. Yeah, just your take on how you've learned from that process, and then any thoughts on how that would relate to other people's learning process. 
Well, as you said, I think it's really important to be able to sense. And it's also really important to be able to just do. And this is where a lot of people get stuck. They either just do and they don't sense or they just sense and they don't do. Mm. (laughs) We need both, right? And a lot of my videos, yes, are definitely on the softer side. But I've always lifted weights. And like right now I'm learning aerial arts. So there's a lot of just hurling your body around in the air and (laughs) hoping, (laughs) hoping everything goes okay. But you need some sort of body awareness for that. And the body awareness that you gain from the softer side actually makes that like just doing so much better. And it's interesting what you were saying about Feldenkrais, because I spent a year trying to like really get into Feldenkrais. I'm like, all right, I'm going to do Feldenkrais every Sunday. I would make it through like 15 minutes of a lesson. And I'm like, I am bored out of my mind. I need Mm. to go like run. (laughs) (laughs) But during that time, this was after I had studied PRI for like four years. I actually gained way more body awareness in those 15 minute chunks of Feldenkrais that I did for a year than I did doing the PR. And I learned way more about like my movement patterns than I did when I was studying PRI. And I went pretty far down the PRI rabbit hole. So I found all of that really interesting too. I find it really interesting to be able to put everything together. I think you can sense when you're doing just about anything. Mm -hmm. If you have a really good, like finely tuned body schema and body map. Yeah. I mean, Darren, I'm assuming that's always just come as natural as can be for you. I mean, you know, like I've seen, (laughs) obviously you doing like things with the palistic one leg, very mindful looking things. It maybe take me back. Just, I I think this would be interesting. Like, you know, obviously you did, you were playing football for a little bit, I think in high school, and then you just specialized in track. But at what point did some of these ideas of where you really started to come into like that sensory element, like feeling what your body was doing? I'd be curious to go back in a little bit of history for where you were starting (laughs) on that path. Well, I, I think for me, it, it started probably about 10, 12 years ago. I was, you know, when I, when I remember, it, it, I remember when I, um, um, I was working at this, this school and it was a school to train, they train trainers, you know, they, they got degrees in, in, in how to be a trainer and all that kind of stuff, you know, ACSM. And I remember being there and we would lift weights, you know, because I was kind of the gym supervisor. And, and so, you know, we would, we would go and, and we work out with weights and stuff like that. And, and, and I'm the guy with the least amount of credentials uh, of the people there. And so people would say, they would say, they would challenge me. Okay, let's go. You know, let's, let's, okay, let's go. And I would tell them like, 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 I remember we, we you know, one time we were deadlifting and I think I got to, to 505, you know, people looking at me like, what? I said, it's not that I'm strong, I just know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just know what I'm doing, you know, because I can feel it, you know, and so, you know, or we'd be pull-ups or whatever the case may be, you know. So about that time, you know, I, I started really, once I said that, I started rethinking really about, like, the, the feeling of the doing part versus just, like, they're just trying to muscle it, you know. Because we would have a gym, and I still played basketball. I think at the time I was still, still dunking and everything. And, and so they just thought, like, oh, you're just an athlete. No, I know what I'm doing over here, too. And then I think that's when I came out with Palo and some other stuff. Because I think that's when Viper came out, you know, the, the, the thing that everybody was, you know, thinking like, I can do better. And that's, that's probably what challenged said, I can do better than that. You know, it's like, I can do better than that. And it was something else. I can do better than that, too. So that started that whole process, you know. And I remember when I, when I, when I came out with Palo, it was very much about connection, you know. Because it came out, you know, I remember when I first came out with Palo, I was working, somebody was a hockey player. They wanted to run fast. I'm like, well, you know, hockey players, this is what they do, you know. I said, they use a stick. And, and so I remember I went and got a stick and I was thinking like, oh, it's something to this. 
I think that day I had track practice with a youth track club. And so we got hurdlers and we put sticks in everybody's hands and hurdling with the stick and everything. I'm like, oh, it's time to take this. You know, so we're back to the connection thing. You know, and then I went and chopped up a broomstick, chopped up this, chopped up that. And then, you know, once again, you start going back to your experience and everything. I think those people miss out on most is the recall and experience you didn't have. You know, and that's what I try to get people to do. But even in seeing things, you've seen that before, you know. And so I remember, you know, back to college days of drinking and how, you know, I hated drinking out of plastic cups because my hand would get tired. It would squeeze tighter and tighter and tighter. But anytime I was drinking out of a glass, I never got tired. Hmm. And, 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 and so it's like, well, how come I can hold this glass forever and don't get tired with this plastic cup? Same weight, same whatever, you know. And then it was something about glass. So, the, so that's when we tried to make Palo out of glass-like material, which is our glass-like. But it, but it had to be once two hands touched it, you know, I didn't want to grip it really tight. I just wanted to hold it. And so that really took started taking me down this this whole, you know, feeling, sensing, imagining and, and everything. But but that was kind of the process, just going back when I went to that school and everything. I'm like, ah, okay. But watch this. Yeah. It makes it's cool to hear all the way back and just thinking about the way your mind works. It, like in the Myers Briggs in psychology, you have like the four different like categorizations. And one of them is are you more of a do you approach the world on the level of more thinking or more feeling? And I am like thinking like almost crank the needle all the way almost you know and that's why it was so good to meet you because it's like i would have never thought about like if like does my hand get more tired with the plastic or a a glass cup i would have not even that would have just been so far off of my radar but it's glad that you mentioned that because that is like for people i think that in the world of sprinting and running it, it that is a really competitive world i think that it's so easy to just look at, just to point to intellectual, I guess just purely intellect, we, we, we wage our comp- competition to who can make the best program or the best system yeah. on only intellectual things, because that's also the easiest things that float around in the social media space or whatever. It's all ideas. Right. But at the end of the day, like to never have sensed something, and it's interesting too, because the more time I've, I've spent with you, like I'm realizing like this all came from, I felt this, this felt good. This didn't feel good. Now what do I do with it? Like, how does this segment, how does this apply to the system? And this constant tinkering, not from the very typical. And I do think it's good to have things. I was like, you guys wrote a book. There is something that is on paper, solid structure. I can reference this in the typical intellectual way. And that's really important. And it's really important for me. But at the same time to also go and piece by piece from a sensory perspective, build on the other end of things. And so I, anyways, that it just, it makes sense to me too, because I'm just spending so much time with you. But I think from a greater philosophical perspective, it's just not where we tend to go. And, and to almost, it's almost as if we need a roadmap on like, all right, if we're going to approach performance, running, throwing, cutting from a sensory perspective, well, we, we know where to start from an intellectual perspective. It's all around us. But if you want to sense, right. start here. And that's right. It's just like, you got to go. But at the same time, it's never been easier to be inundated with information than it is today. But in the same perspective of needing a mentor and like, even like learning a martial art, like, are you going to learn a martial art? Are you going to learn how to swim by just reading about it? You know, no, you have to find somebody who can help you to feel these things. You are, you have to actually feel it. You have to feel the water. And so anyways, I don't want to get too carried away down that rabbit hole, but I, it's just cool to see how you were always kind of attuned to that. And then it's just manifested itself when you actually started to apply it to performance, where I think so often it is just the other way around a little bit, you know? Well, even, you know, being in track for so long, I remember say, track was, was one of those things where people say, you have to feel that. I'm thinking, but I don't feel that. And I remember triple jumping, you know, I don't feel that. I knew when I jumped well, but 
I don't know why I jumped with him. <laughs> I, I, you know, I just know, okay, that was a good job and everything. I remember, the, I remember the first time, I remember I left Colorado. When I left Colorado, I was, I was struggling because I'm thinking like, I'm only jumping, you know, 50, 51 feet. I want to be jumping 53, 54 feet. And, and so some other things were going on. I left Colorado. I think I spent a year training myself. You know, I was jumping rope, running hills, doing this other thing. First track me I went to, boom, 53 feet. And, and then at that point in time, you know, but what happened is like all of a sudden, like, I can feel this. Hmm. And so it became part of that really, really early days of, you know, what just happened and, and everything. Because like I said before, you, know, you got to feel this. I'm like, I don't, feel, I don't know what y'all, I don't know what y'all talking about. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> and you go home frustrated. Like, I don't know what they're talking about, you know. Uh, and I had some good coaches and stuff like that, but that was the biggest thing, you know. You gotta, you gotta feel this, uh, you know, feel like you could feel, feel like this here, you know, feel like uh, I don't know what you're talking about, you know. But even like I said, and one of the things like, and what I like I said, what I try to get people to do is a lot of times, like I said, now is like it's it's based on experience, and so a lot of what we've done, you know, can recall a, a, a prior experience that you can relate to, and yeah. if we can do that, they would. Oh, now I get it you know, without being able to recall that prior experience, then it's just like, I have no idea. Yeah. And then you just rely on, I think what then happens is we tend to rely on what I call the more intellectual side of the needle is just positions. Oh, get in this position. Like that's easy. I can yeah. attach my intellect to that. But so often like runners everywhere, track folk everywhere, like just like me, I would, like I said, I would have no idea what cup was better. Like I would have absolutely no idea. But in the same way, I have absolutely no idea what sprint drill was correlating. You know, I'm just like, ah, do it. I feel, and honestly, if, if you were to say like, when, with all, let's just say sprint drills, marching drills, we talk about that a lot. The thing I would feel from that is actually bounce. And yeah, from a perspective of developing a quality bounce. Yeah. But then I would try to take that and apply it to the actual horizontal sprinting. It didn't work. And I, but I had no clue until I actually yeah. felt and made connections with, well, what does it feel like to squat down just a little bit? Oh, okay. And it's like, it's like, cause now my coaching is like, and I still have a lot of, I guess you could say more intellectual constructs, the way I structure my workouts and things like that. But I, I try to be very intentional now with every time I have like a constraint of running, there's a feeling pinned to it. Like, okay, here's the dynamics, here's the setup, but you should also feel this. And that's been, I mean, that's been one of my biggest growths is cause there was no way I would have had that on my radar 10 years ago. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, kind of, I, I will cheat myself completely. I did have that in jav- I would coach javelin for some reason. Javelin was easier to pin that to than like sprinting. And maybe it's just cause I don't, it's like I would, you, you'd feel the stretch and you would yeah. throw it. And if it doesn't go far, it's like, well, I know how I screwed that one up, you know, but like, right, right, right. So- <laughs> let me, yeah, let me forget about that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even, even like now, you know, I have a workout, I have this little workout group. And, and one of the things that I do recently was, and I told him, you want to feel the impact. As you run, take time, feel the impact so you can learn what to do with the impact. We never, never feel it. Mm. And a lot of times we especially talk to sprint or something like that. You know, they say, you know, run like you're running on hot coals. Well, that's avoiding the impact. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you're avoiding the impact now, but you need to feel this impact so you can understand what to do with it. If you can't feel it, I can never even think about doing something with it. And that's even like why I won't throw javelin because in my mind, impact is not going to be good. Even though, even though you see people, you know, come thinking like, I don't want, I don't want to see my legs straight, not like that. Even, you know, I just, in my mind, I don't want to feel that, so nah, I'm not gonna mess with it. Huh? But then I'll triple jump. But then, you know, but then I'll triple jump. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you, your torso obviously had to rotate a little bit to triple jump. I mean, it's like I'm the prototypical jab. <laughs> I'm so rotational and whippy, like that's just my thing. But it's, I, I remember you, you are someone who's a little bit more. Um, you tend to direct things. I feel like a little bit more forward in that respect. So. All right. I was going to ask you, okay, so you, great point though, Darren, with that. 
with the inputs. Because that was actually the first question I had as per the book. Because I just think that, like, if I was to look through the whole book and be like, man, where's the one, if someone was just going to, I think you hate to be a reductionist, but if I was just going to take one thing, <laughs> it is that like, because so much of coaching is just outputs. It's like, you know, stomp the ground, be proactive into, which I think like, you know, you talk about like emotional reactivity. That's not a good thing if you don't have control of, you know, but I think it's different when it comes to movement because like the body already knows what to do here and you actually want the body to be able to do its thing. And so, can you guys tell me a little bit about, you know, and if you want to relate back to a little bit about where you went with the foot, Jen, that's awesome. But, you know, the inputs and outputs, because I just think that if anyone just understands that, that and incorporating some sensing into it, like that is such a game changer. And so, yeah, maybe describe as per the book or however you guys want uh, inputs and outputs as you see them. Well, I think inputs and outputs is everything. And actually, this was something I was way into before I met Adarian. So, I was stoked the chapter one of the book was based on this because I was like, okay, at least this is something I can write about without asking him a gazillion questions. <laughs> <laughs> but understanding pressure and thinking about how pressure relates to input was a light bulb moment for me when I was working on the book. Because even though, again, I thought a lot about inputs and outputs over the years, if you can figure out how you're using pressure, again, for something simple, like going for a run, if you understand how to use pressure and you understand how to direct pressure into the foot that's on the ground, everything changes. And even with clients, like I have one client who's not a runner, but I'm using a ton of running based drills with her because she has, if we're going to talk about feet, she has high arches, limited range of motion in the ankle. and helping her understand how to direct pressure through her torso and into her foot has changed everything for her. She was just telling me, she's like, I feel better than I ever have. Hmm. So there's so much to that, that I think it's, as you said, it's just, it's, it's a big takeaway. It was a big takeaway for me for the book. Yeah, I think that's one override themes in the book, inputs the output. I mean, we say it over and over, yeah. inputs the output. So even, even with feet, you know, it, it's one of those things. I remember, you know, uh, one of my first controversies on Instagram, social media was, was when I said, Hey, and you know, people came after me pretty strongly because I said it's not the force you got to deal with; it's the pressure. Mm. You know, and I said, what happens as you with the foot? You reduce the surface area, so you, it's not force you increase; it's pressure you increase after responding to. And people were like, da, 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 da. I said, so why are we wearing spikes then? You wearing mm. spikes because what's happening? You just reduce what the surface area. That thing bites down. Mm. You're not. You don't have to push any harder. You just have to reduce the surface area. But but that's the input. That that pressure is an input, and you respond accordingly. And and so you know, if you run flat footed, it's the same amount of force, but the pressure's different. So you react different based on that input now. And and thing with pressure is like even things you talk about in the book. You remember pressure. If you remember yeah. like that, you said last week, I fell in my house. Stumble reflex and everything. Nighttime chasing the dogs, <laughs> and I and I know there's one part of the house where there's ledge, and I got to miss the ledge. So I, what I do, I, I put myself into a stumble. So I can miss the ledge. Think I don't want to stub my toe. And I'm in the air. And I'm falling. I'm thinking, like, ooh, go to the knees, you know? And so I hit my knees. I'm thinking, like, ooh, but what happens on your knees? Technically, knees is a large surface area. But no big deal. Until my big toe slammed into the ground. <laughs> a lot of pressure. Small surface area. Yeah. A lot of pressure. Now I have a big old blood blister, you know? And what hurt the most? You think it would, the knees would hurt the most. What hurt the most? The big toe slamming down. And so, you know, like I said, that input matters. It, it really mattered in the process and everything. And, and so I think that's what people really don't understand is that what's 
you run enough, the brain understands pressure. As soon as you grab the bar to deadlift, what do you understand? The pressure. Based on that pressure, you know if it's heavy or not heavy. You don't, you don't, you don't have to see what the weight is, but as soon as you grab that bar, based on pressure, you know if that thing's heavy or not heavy and how to act accordingly. But people really don't look at it that way because they, they can so force, force, force. Mm-hmm. But you know how much force you're putting out, but you can kind of regulate pressure. I think that's one of those defining things too that I always like talking about how things differ in the gym, the weight room, then dynamic, run, run, just running. I mean, running is the easiest, you know, where you're moving forward. There's more weight shifting going on. There's more pressure. And I have a couple of things that come to mind. One is, you know, it does, this is a little bit of a, something that I don't have like the numbers behind, but as just intuitively speaking, I feel like really fast people tend to have a lot more pressure related issues where they're riding that line of being hurt or not mm-hmm. in the sense of like little foot things, sesamoid, like, because they are capable of putting down a lot of force, yes, but a lot of pressure into a smaller area at one point in time. And so they're going to be riding that line more than someone who's like, just kind of like, I mean, well, then again, people who are really bad at any pressure tend to get shin splits higher up. It's more of a general thing that's higher in the leg because they couldn't apply any pressure. And so now it's just going to show up higher in the system. Maybe that's like a thing where it's really fast and you have to deal with stuff that's more localized because you could put that down. Again, if someone wants to you know, run the numbers or their own version of that, but that's at least what I've perceived to be. And I was going to say too, you know, it makes me think about when I've worn the random shoes that you would put together at the track, way back when we were at the track and Darren, it's like, hey, I made this shoe, try it. And sometimes it'd be like a size too small, but I was like, screw it, I'll wear it anyways and run around. And, you know, I just remember feeling like, I remember feeling very fast, but if I go further into that feeling of being fast, there's like, well, what is it about this that's making me fast? And it's like, there's particular points of pressure coming up through my feet that really weren't there before. And it's like, and it's a faster reaction off the ground. So not only is it more pressure on particular points, but I also feel like whatever the response is off the ground is coming off the ground quicker. And now the rest of my body has to deal with that. And I could, and that was great. That was really cool. And so, you know, with that input and the output too, with pressure, and that sounds like too, like what you were talking about, Jen, with the lateral arch or thinking about considering the lateral aspect when you were running, you were changing the way the input, the way the pressure was being input. Although there was a little proactivity, right? Because you did have to do something you had to, and ideally you don't have to, like if you're running like, you know, a competition, you don't want to have to think about that. Eventually it should be on automatic, right? But maybe go, Jen, in context of that input and the foot, maybe go into that, the lateral aspect, and then maybe you can branch off of that too. Like what are you, as a result of that, what are you doing that's impacting your running? And then Adarian, if you want to chime in as well. Well, I, every time I see Adarian in person, I learn something new about what I need to be doing for running. Not what I need to be doing, but what could make my running more efficient. And the lateral aspect, as you said, it gave me that rolling action in the foot. I think I was dramatically missing that. So rolling from the pinky toe to the big toe ball of the foot, I wasn't getting that in the foot, that kind of rolling paddling action. And the last time I saw Darian, he had me get my heel underneath me. So I had the forefoot going one way and then he counter rotated the heel to get underneath my body. And the next morning, all I thought about was getting my heel underneath me. I I don't even know like how I was doing it. I'm like, rotate the heel, rotate the heel. And my pace was faster than it's been since summer. I've been running in snow, so everything's been a lot slower. I was like, oh, I haven't seen these times in six months. This is fantastic. (laughs) But it was the whole pressure change. And as you said, you don't necessarily know why you're going faster. Or, you know, you feel you're faster. You're like, something significant Mm -hmm. has changed. And I understood that it was how I was 
pressurizing my system and it started with my foot and I couldn't tell you exactly what it looked like or, you know, anything other than that it felt different. But that's a lot of what pressure does in my experience, especially in working with clients. I work with people one-on-one and you ask them, what do you feel? And sometimes they'll look at you and they'll say, I don't know. It feels different, but I don't know why. And there's a lot of that, I think, that goes on within pressure. You know, things shift. They don't, you don't necessarily know why. Something might feel easier. It might feel harder. But the pressure is what does it. But even if you ever look at when somebody lands and they blow their knee out, you can see the pressure ride through the system. You can see like, ooh, you can, you can see it just go. Uh, or, you know, when a, when Achilles rupture, you can see like, oh, yeah, that's that's that you can see. So I think a lot of times, too, you know, when we when we deal with these things, that becomes the overriding question is, is all of a sudden what we talk about when you talk about managing collision. Well, I'm trying to manage the pressure now. Uh, and then we talk about, you know, one unwanted vibration, same thing, pressure. Uh, and I can show you on running stuff, you know, like I said, triple jump. If you do it wrong, you, it hurts. Mm-hmm. It hurts. You know, if you do it right, smooth as butter. Do it wrong, you could just because all of a sudden, what you're doing, you, you're getting this collision, you're getting this pressure in your back, or you're getting this pressure in the knee. I just, I just recently showed Jen a video of a kid that was running, and I said, based on how he's coming down, he's coming down on his knee, and, and you, you have to look up the, when you see the video. You go, yep, because the shin was already changed, the hip's still dropping, but where is it dropping now? Straight onto his knee, and and the person said, yeah, they, they have sore knees. Well, this is probably why they have sore knees. Because they're literally coming, the pressure is really going through their knee, you know, and, and so that becomes a lot of it too. Is is that how do we, you know, like I said, because we got this fluid thing running through us, we, we mm-hmm. fluid, and we got these compartments, and, and so how do we how do we manage all this stuff, the vibrations and the wiggles and everything like that as we go through it, and and even like I said with the book where we where we talk about like I said like stubbing my toe, pain's there now. So guess what? That's not, that's not, that's not the pressure I'm looking for. <laughs> so that's not, mm-hmm. that's not pleasurable. So guess what? I avoid that area. And I think for like the first four days after I did it, I couldn't get to the big toe. It was like, mm-hmm. no way am I even going over there. Even putting on pants was, was, was funny because I could, it was vibrating. You know, it was, it was you know, the, I could really feel the ridges in, in the end of the big toe. So if I put on pants, it was just nerving me. It's like, this is, what was, what was all it based on? Just, it's, it's just a lot of pressure down there. Mm-hmm. I did actually, there was a, there was a video that was out. Maybe I'll put in the show notes uh, if you want to expand on it. Uh, before I mentioned the video, uh, as you were talking, I did think of another, like, I think the more things that people can just feel in their own body, I, I, like the stub your toe thing, right? Like anyone who stubbed their toe, you could think, oh, wow, lots of pressure in a small place. But I think about the, the opposite of that. Well, what would the opposite of that be? And I think about, like, I spent, I've spent time with Rafe Kelly and at his return to the source and I'll watch the videos and they'll do like, there was one, they were posting videos where they were like jumping off like a set of like three stairs or something. And then they would do a dive roll and like literally roll out of it. And they could roll out of it because they're distributing all the basically like they're going head first, tucking their head down. And then they're or just a basic dive roll. If you're just doing a forward somersault roll, how do you not hurt yourself? Well, if you lit it right on your head, that's a ton of pressure. You mitigate the pressure by tucking your head shoulder under and you spread it through your whole spine and rib cage. And that's how you don't get hurt. And you also, in the process, you're slowing things down a lot and intentionally, obviously, like to, to mitigate that. The opposite would be, I think if you just, you know, if you hit your head and it was, it was like a, so- that wouldn't be solid though, because your head would just go to the side. But if you hit like a hard point, you would keep rolling faster. So, well, what I was trying to say though, with all that was there was a video um, that was really cool. It was a guy like, I think South African guy running a 10-4 in the 100 barefoot. You had posted yeah. on that, right? And so, and that was one of the first things, you know, that I remember with you is like, 
like if I'm going to run barefoot, like it changes, it changes the pressure, it changes friction. If it's on like the track, there's like big changes that have to have have to happen because of friction. If I have spikes on, I can at least push down a lot quicker because I don't have to worry about ripping the skin off my foot. But tell me yeah. a little bit about <laughs> like, like, for example, that barefoot runner and I'll post it because he was the thing I noticed, it was a rear view video. This guy runs 10, four in the hundred and he is rotating like crazy. And maybe this could fit into rotation and pressure. I know you guys wrote about that in the book which is a really yeah. cool concept. Maybe this will feed right into that. But this guy, I mean, his knees, body was really, and there is rotation within a start, of course, but this guy was really working it. I mean, it was so cool yeah. to watch. And I know at least part of the, the, the more than typical was very likely to do with how he had to manage the pressure because of being barefoot. So I'm curious with what your take is on that, like starting accelerating from a barefoot on a track in light of pressure management and inputs. Uh-huh. Well, I, you know, this the whole thing, this the, this, the, this the craziest thing that people miss out on is, you know, once again, I remember one time running a race barefoot on a, on a track and I'm thinking like, this, this is not good because <laughs> I couldn't create enough pressure to break the traction. I, I couldn't create enough pressure to break the traction. And that's one reason why we wear spikes because we need to break the traction. You know, same thing, people getting starting blocks. Why can't they move their fingers? Because they can't create enough pressure to break the tracks between their hands and this rubber and things like that. So the fact that the guy was able to create enough pressure to break the traction, that to me was the amazing part, you know, because it's like you, other than that, your feet stick. And it's a, it, your feet stick to the rubber. And so you have to break, you got to create enough to break it, you know? And that same thing with a car, whatever the case may be, you got to create enough to break the, so things move. So that was a cool part there. And like, so even having triple jump barefoot, triple jump barefoot is easy because I want, at that point in time, I want to stick. So if I'm triple jumping barefoot, I want to stick. If I'm trying to sprint, I don't want to stick. And so those are two very different spectrums of here I want to create enough pressure to break traction. Here I don't want to break. If I break it here, I'm falling out from underneath me. So, you know, if you think about that in ice skating, what are they trying to do? They're trying to create enough pressure to do what? Turn into water. <laughs> I got to turn this into, I got to create enough pressure to turn this into something else. And, I, and, and so we have the small area. So I think we forget about that a lot of times too, or even just in, in, in general, just in movement, like tell people, hit your funny bone, see what happens. That little area will give you the greatest like, ooh, and everything. So, so that's what I saw. But I thought it was, I thought it was kind of cool, you know, because I ran on asphalt. You know, one thing about running on asphalt, why does your feet burn? Because you, they're slipping. There's, there's really not a whole lot of pressure. They're slipping. So you can't even create enough, you, you, you know, there, there's too much pressure in a sense. To run on asphalt, your feet slip and they burn. And people go, that's a good thing. No, that's not a good thing. It's not. But at the same time, you know, you look at two, and we talk about proprioception of feet and everything. We just talk about that too. You know, and you think about that for a second. And I always say, well, my feet are not for proprioception. And I said, because my eyes already told me what I'm about to do. If I'm running on asphalt, my eyes already told me. If it's smooth asphalt, I run a certain way. And the pressure confirms, like, yeah, this is smooth asphalt. Or the pressure confirms, like, this is jaggedy asphalt. And what I do, I start modulating how I'm running on this thing that the eyes already told me you want. You might want to ease up on this a little bit. And, and so what do you do on that jaggedy stuff? What do you do? You put more down your foot to redu- reduce the pressure. It's always it's amazing how this works out and stuff. So once again, the eyes are telling me something. The feet going to confirm it with pressure that this is this or this isn't this. Yeah. One of the things that you mentioned was the the triple jumping. And you can tri- and I found this too. I didn't do this till I had met you, but I found out, you know, I actually can triple jump barefoot much better than I thought, which is crazy because it's like, oh, 10x <laughs> the forces of the body weight and you know, more the most in track and field. And it is, but it also you do have a little bit longer to deal with those collisions. And I was thinking of something, Jen, that you had said before we even started with 
distance running. And I think this is just cool because like I think everybody who's listening to this is on understands or is into or interested running or sprinting on some level and, and obviously human locomotion is central to pretty much everything we do but you had mentioned that the collision is different in distance running because you have to deal with it a little bit longer than sprinting and i think about that with triple jump too and so it's interesting to sometimes think about interrelationships of like track and field events um maybe not a fiber type but on collisions and like maybe there's something with the collision link but uh, I was curious, yeah, maybe you guys could talk about the collision and the inputs as it relates to distance running as well compared to sprinting, because I think the more ways we can explore this examples, I think that'll be helpful for people. Well, and Gary can elaborate. Yeah, you should, you should go for it. I mean, let's, let's think about, like, like you said, let's, let's go with high jump. You know, high jump is a very short collision. You, you stick it and go. You know, long jump, very short collision. Stick it and go. Triple jump, we're going to extend a little bit more. Same thing in running. That's that's you know one arguments, biggest arguments on, on social media is why is a sprinter landing in this 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 squatted or this bent knee position, and so because they're not going to yield, they're not going to give anymore. They're they're done. But as a distance runner, what am I doing? I got movement at the ankle, which is an extended collision, and as the as as the, the ankle or the the, the tibia pitches forward, what is my thigh doing? My thigh is pitching backwards, so I have these two things. That, that that are moving that's actually extending the collision and at the same time where's my and people forget about the weight shift where's your weight now the weight is being pushed further behind the body to even extend this collision even further versus on a sprinter it's going to be closer to the body so we get into these things here of, of just that there about how the body is based on rotation is managing this collision either make it longer or to make it shorter and like i say with the high jumping once you stick, there's very little rotation, except mm. up. You know, you 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 know the thigh's gonna pitch up. You go up, you're done with this. But like in triple jump, what's happening? I'm gonna get moving at the ankle, moving at the knee, moving at the hip because these things are being extended. Even the way you come in, you know. Then we talk about you know one of the things we talk about. We didn't talk about the book about up leg down leg, but we talk about pairs. And 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 Joe's helped me talk about this before. How vertical horizontal is actually a pair. People don't see it as a pair. They see them as <laughs> As they conflict one another, no, this one would be horizontal, this one would be vertical. This one would be horizontal, this one would be vertical. That's a pair working together now. And so even in running, if you look at it this way, one of the collisions is designed to be more vertical. One of the collisions is designed to be more horizontal, based on which leg I'm going to be dealing at that point in time and stuff. So as we go through this, that's the hard part that people understand is that they call it absorbing force. You're not absorbing force. It's the fact that you're extending a collision. And so as the longer it takes for you to slow down, then the next joint, the next joint, the next joint is getting less because it was less there in the first place. And something Adarian did tell me, which I thought was super interesting when we were talking about sprinting versus distance running, is collisions create vibration. And with sprinting, because it's such a short amount of time that you are creating the collision, you can have unwanted vibrations. That's not a good thing if you're a distance runner. That was, for me, like, that made a lot of sense. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, big difference, you know, because sprinting's so short. A couple of unwanted vibrations, ah, no big deal. Mm. But try 26 miles of unwanted vibrations. <laughs> try six miles of unwanted vibrations, you know. People wonder why, you know, they may be feeling kind of funny at the end of a long run. Well, probably because you have some unwanted vibrations, because you have some unwanted collisions, you know. And, and, and what's funny, you can see all this on video. You can, all this stuff you see on video, you can see when, when the torso just collides, and you go, that wasn't good there, you know. You can see... The quads, you can see the, you can see how it is traveling through the body and things like that, you know. So it's these things you can see, you know, and you go, yeah, that's not too good there. 
And, and then you can see between the really good runners, guess what? Less vibrations, unwanted vibrations. Bad runners, they have a lot of unwanted vibrations. And then you wonder why, like anything else, like we tell people, if you ride in your car, it's vibrating. But what is it? It's smooth. And smooth enough that you might go to sleep. Versus if the engine misses, it drives you nuts. Like something's wrong with this car. You can you can feel it. You can hear it. It's just it's just off. And it's a try. So think about that as a runner. These unwanted vibrations, they just make you tired. The same thing. It's just it's gonna make you tired and wonder why. And you get in better shape. No, get rid of the unwanted vibrations. You'll be fine. Yeah. With the running, the distance running, I do find it interesting too. I do think that sprinting, you can take on I guess you could say a less desirable technical element and still kind of compensate your way through it as best you can. And, and the competition changes your technique anyways, and you, yeah. you get through it. But if in distance running, I find it's funny because if you apply like sprint, like positional coaching to distance running, it just, you're going to get tired real quick and you'll just yeah. be like, screw this. I'm just going to run. And that's where it's been cool. I've done some running presentations for Jeff Nichols down in Virginia Beach working with some, uh, special forces trainees or for future special forces trainees. And it's really been cool doing that because in, in the process of that, I like buying every book on running. Like I've, I've had Helen Hall on the podcast, even with your shoes on, amazing, like very feeling notice-based system. Uh, chi running, I'm trying to think of the other ones. Like there, the more you get into running, the more it really becomes like feeling noticing-based because I think, like you said, the more unwanted vibrations you take on for however many steps it is, it's like compounding itself. And so the core of that, I, I believe the core of it all is 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 that noticing, but I do think it is it's even more it's much more much more important the further the thing is that you're doing because I think the shorter it is you can find ways to compensate around it a little bit. You know, one thing that's interesting too, you mentioned the collisions, and I was thinking about track and field, and what's interesting in track is I noticed like, and I think from just a pure how the skeleton and structure of the body works and moves, I noticed with female track athletes like the four hundred meter, eight hundred meter, like high jump type combination is way more common in females than it is in males. And I think about sometimes, well, there's similarity there, maybe, and maybe more triple jump on a level, but maybe the contact time and high jump. But I always think, why is it more common in females than males? And maybe males can maybe compensate with a little bit more outputs. You know, they maybe output compensate or something like that. But for females, it is maybe more the purity of the structure and how the structure and the elasticity and the collisions work. And maybe that's why that's a little bit more common with that. I don't want to make this like a super track specialist conversation. <laughs> yeah, <it's cool. laughs> um, but you know, I was thinking, to, I, I do want to, I do want to um, kind of try to get some more, maybe take home points out of the collision element. Cause I'll say like, when I put those shoes on that you made it, Arian, like I, I, I pick up the shoe and I'm like, the shoe's got a ton of holes in it. Like you know, it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> I'm like, this is like half a shoe, but it, it is yeah, funny because, sure but I needed like, and, and that's cool because it, it does mitigate the friction element. You have something between your yeah. foot and the surface, the track, especially because that is like a lot, it, that you can get traction that way faster than the grass, but your design to give me more pressure was something that had less surface area. It was designed to force my foot to deal with a very particular point of pressure very quickly. But yeah. outside yeah. of getting your, you know, outside of getting your shoes, how, like, what are some things that people like the bricks obviously are a super simple way to deal with at least like proprioception sensation, oh, yeah, the yeah, surface, yeah. but I like you guys to share yeah. a little bit about okay, so people practical. I want to feel this in my body. I want to feel the input of pressure. I want to explore the input of pressure. You know, Jen, you had mentioned the the pinky toe cueing. I'm always looking at too, like like just inputs, environment inputs. Tell me a little bit about what people could do listening. Hey, just to feel this and and to work with that sensation upwards. Well, and the easy thing to do is make sure you're training your feet on firm surfaces, which is one of the reasons the bricks work so well. And I think so often in a gym setting, it's really easy to get 
I don't want to say complacent, but to use like soft surfaces, mm-hmm. like the, as the Darian and I've talked about a lot, like something like an Eric's pad or a Bosu is going to be really good at teaching your foot how to respond slowly. Mm. And yes, you'll have a lot of time to feel, but are you feeling something that's going to actually translate into performance or whatever movement or being able to move dynamically? So that's an easy way to do it. And then playing with using different aspects of your foot. Again, one of the beauty of the bricks, Adarian has everybody slice them in half. So you can only put the ball of your foot on the brick. Yeah, decrease the possible pressure uh, outcomes. Yeah. You could cut it a quarter if you wanted to be crazy. You know, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'll yeah. try that. Uh, so I have a client who has like a little two by four and I have her do all kinds of stuff on there to kind of mimic sort of the sim- a similar sort of thing. But yeah, just different. I think different surfaces are really important. Yeah. And, and even think about this here. It's funny. I, and I've just, uh, who just came out? Puma just came out. I think it's Puma. Yeah. Puma just released one of their, one of their patents on their shoe. And they said in this patent, the carbon fiber is designed to press down the phone. And, I, and then I had to bring up my video, you know, that I did a couple of years ago when, 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 when Alpha Flies first came out, everybody's like, Ooh, the carbon fiber, the car. I said, no, the carbon fiber mashed down the phone much faster than, than if you didn't have the carbon fiber there. Because why? It's a harder surface, more pressure. You actually just mash the stuff down. And so sometimes shoe companies have tricked you into doing something that you don't even know you're doing as far as with pressure. Mm. But the other thing, yeah, the, the bricks, you know, is one thing. And, and even this here, this how this how sensitive the body is. You, if you have a cement brick, you have a cement brick, and cement is not as hard as a clay brick, where a clay brick, they say, can withstand, say, 10,000. Um, you know, somebody can be like, he's wrong. <laughs> Let's just do numbers. Where a, a cement <laughs> brick may be able to withstand 3,000 pounds of pressure. Where a clay brick can take ten thousands. As soon as you step on one or the other, your brain knows the difference. So it'll go ahead and work harder on the clay brick than it will on the cement brick. So, so that's it, it's amazing how fast that that pressure is. Just like, oh, this is you know, and that's why I tell people even about carbon fiber. Yeah. Why you want carbon fiber in your shoes? Because it's hard. It's not that it's going to make you bounce. It's just hard. And we talked about before, Joe, about how the body's trying to seek the ground. So when you put the carbon fiber in, it's on the ground. It's not trying to find the ground anymore. It found it. Let's move on. So, so, so yeah, so we do that. And then, like I said, even the, the, the slant board, you know, yeah. using different slant boards and different materials, it's different than using plastic, metal, wood, you know, and I think when Jim first did hers, I told her she might, she might want to get a, a thicker board because hers was yeah. in the middle and the body yeah. will act accordingly because it knows like, no, oh, this is kind of, and so I, so, so that's part of that process is once again, is using a variety of things. And, and feeling how it works, which is why, you know, not against Bosu, not against soft material, but soft material leaves you a pressure. It goes right. against what you're trying to do, mm. you know? Right. And so that becomes the, the other part of it is, is find hard stuff, find harder stuff. Even go back a long time ago, I like glass so much. One of my first insoles, mm. I went to the studio, I had the, the glass towel. I went to Home Depot, they had little samples, a little like one inch samples. Mm. I made one of my first insoles out of that <laughs> just because it's hard and it was glass. And so uh, it didn't last very long, but it was like, <laughs> oh, this yeah. is kind of cool, but it was hard, you know, and I think that's what people miss out on. You need hard surfaces. And, and even with spike shoes, think about spikes. And this is, what, this is one thing we talk about in the book, too, with stress form, stress strain and, and deformation, elastic and plastic. And a lot of people don't understand those words, but elastic means it's going to return back to the previous shape. Plastic means it's permanently deformed. And so a mm-hmm. lot of times I've shown on videos how with a spike, as you're trying to put pressure into it, it will deform. If it deforms, once again, the pressure doesn't work anymore. 
So you need something that's going to hold up underneath the pressure and doesn't deform and everything. So, so even, even, even going to that there, just, just understanding that there about how, like we talk about the bone is elastic until it breaks. Now it's plastic. And, and so how do we, and then as part of that, we talked earlier, Joe too, this fine line, how can I push to the edge of elasticity and not break? Yeah. That becomes, you know, if you go back and watch uh, Rojas and triple jump, you think she's going to wow. sprain her ankle. She's pushing yeah. to the edge. Yeah, her, everything of, does. Of that, yeah. you know, she's pushing to the yeah. edge of elasticity, and she, but she never goes to plastic. Amazing. Yeah, that is, that is, I do think that when you get to that high level track and field, you get a lot of people riding on the edge and managing it, you know, versus a low yeah. level, you see just less, less pressure, <laughs> yeah. just more general. Yeah. So I know we're running out yeah. of time. I do want, I wanted to actually run a quick anecdote by, I, I've been talking about like, on the show, I've just been obsessed with running in this creek for like the last year. But part of it is because I remember the feeling of like, what did my feet, what did my body feel like when I was like 18 playing basketball? Super springy, barely yeah. needed to warm up at all, just go off one leg and dunk and it's like the easiest thing in the world. And one of the things that I returned the feeling to me is running with like just like minimal shoes, five millimeter, you know, rubber on creek rocks, like running over little rocks yeah. in the creek. And yeah. for a lot of reasons, I, I like being in nature. I like the variable surfaces. I like the minimal thing. You feel the contours of the rocks. But something you guys mentioned in the book that was amazing was that the smaller the surface area, the quicker you need to get off the thing. Like if it's a big surface area and probably softer, right? You can go into it. But if it's a little surface area, and you have to get off of it. And you can't balance on it either. And that's the cool thing. If you've got a string of a few rocks, you know, you're jumping over. And some of them are small. You can't balance on that small rock. You just got to get off that thing and get to the next one. And I think that part of that reattunement of the feeling of that recollection of those elastic abilities does come from that, like that variable, like a lot of small pressure. There's some big rocks too, but a lot of them have different surfaces that aren't like smooth. And oh, we put your foot exactly here and roll like a nice slow, even like a triple jump. You can't do it. It's like a lot of it is very quick and the yeah. surface and the rocks are hard. And so anyways, um, yeah, I, I just thought that was really cool with that element there Maybe let's finish up because I know we don't have a lot of time, but talking about, yeah, so, so with, uh, maybe we can just bring this just very, very quickly uh, into like the gym because like the gym and dynamic, you know, what, what are the commonalities? What are the differences? How can, if we want to link some things that, uh, and, and Jen, you, you mentioned bricks, like we can bring bricks in the gym and, and things like that. And just for people, you know, bricks too, just take a brick, cut it in half, barefoot, stand on it. Oh, you also mentioned too, uh, that's what I was going to say is Jen, you had mentioned because I'm just thinking about simple, practical things people can do to get started. You mentioned, Jen, just like running or, or walking or moving and just feeling different parts of your feet. It, like in track, or it's common, just like, I mean, not common, but like, hey, be barefoot and just run on the insides of your feet, run on the outsides of your feet. And people probably don't think about why they're doing it. They're just like, oh, I'm just working the different muscles or something, you know? But I think that just some of that stuff is unintentionally almost just getting people to feel like that type of pressure thing. I, maybe that's what I wanted to ask is, you know, what's your thoughts on, you know, just from a general perspective, and, and I, it's obviously ideal if you have a sensor, your environment changes. And that's what I think with the plyo, yeah. like the creek, yeah. like you could do all the plyos you want in normal shoes on a typical surface and that's cool. But it's like, well, hey, there's a whole nother bubble outside of that that offers a huge dynamic and yeah. that expands your viewpoint. So, uh, you know, I, I, Darren, I'm just curious of your take on, and maybe it's like a turf or something, but just the idea of if you're going to do warm-up drills and everyone's barefoot and you're doing different like parts of the feet or something like that, any, any <laughs> thoughts on how to yeah. maximize that? Well, yeah. Well, one of the things that uh, I always tell people is that, you know, with, if, you bare, tra if you're training barefoot, remember how the foot's moving and working. Because once you put the shoes on, you want the same thing. Because the shoe is just the ground now. It just has, it's, the environment changed. That's all. 
but I still want the same movement and stuff like that. So even on the bricks, you know, I'll tell people where I want to work off the, the fifth metatarsal. If you hit on the fifth metatarsal, leg locks up. So if I want to bounce, I'm going to bounce off the fifth metatarsal. If I'm going to go to fourth metatarsal, the knee's going to bend. You know, if I go over here, you know, same thing. Even like when people say press off the big toe, you can't do it. It, it, it depresses too much. The big toe cannot handle all that pressure. And, and so you go, you can stand on it, but once you try to push off of it, different ball game again. You know, and even we've been talking this week about some things with the second toe and first toe, but that's that's another thing. But but part of that, yeah, you want to work off different parts of your feet. You know, even you know, even on the bricks, I do a thing where I'm on the heels. You know, or I may roll it this way, or I may say I'm going to move the pinky toe, and I and I have a thing where you can isolate on the brick where I'm just going to isolate the first toe. I'm going to isolate toes two through three. I'm going to isolate just this part. You know. That becomes one thing, but but once again, then you start to feel like, oh, this is what this part of foot does. This is what this part of foot does. This is what this part of foot does. And then you start thinking about how fast you need to do all that just in moving. Cool. Jen, do you have anything to add to that? And then I'll just ask you guys about the book and we'll, I think our time's running out. So I will say that if you're in the gym, an easy thing you can do is play with different squat positions with your foot in a different situation, mm. different single leg stances. And it's amazing if you load and you think about compression. So if you load the same side foot that's forward, you'll get a lot of action through that leg. And you can really play with what happens if I put pressure in this part of my foot? What happens if I spin my heel underneath me? What happens if I reach through my pinky toe? And it does translate into more dynamic movements. So it can be a really nice warm up. Awesome. Love it. Well, hey, th- this has been a really good chat, you too. Great to be on the <laughs> on the call here. I'm glad we can make it happen. And so before we get out of here, tell me about the book. I've read it. It's been great. So I'd recommend anyone to buy it, but uh, let me know a little bit about that before we get out of here. Uh, there's my, yeah, there's my plug for that. So go ahead, go ahead, Jen. <laughs> we wrote a book called Let Me Introduce You, Tales of Lovers, Threesomes and Movement. I think that's the subtitle. Um, it's a short read and yeah, it was a lot of fun to work on and it just, it's basic fundamental principles of movement. So yeah. Also too, you know, the one thing about the book we, we talk about, because we talk about effort levers and things like that. It's also some life skills in the book if you, if you want to translate even that way into some life skills about inputs, output. You know, what you're putting in, you're going to get out on the other side, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even like with levers and things like that about how, you know, levers work one of two ways. Either they're going to be strong or they're going to be fast, you know. And, and so you you can't go around those two things. And and so sometimes even in our life, we may be thinking, I'm, I'm going to keep doing it this way. No, mm-hmm. you can't do it. Mm-hmm. You can't just do it, you know. So that's the other part about the book, too, that, that if you actually look at it, they also some life skills stuff. Yeah. As above, so below. <laughs> the body is a mirror. Awesome. Awesome <laughs> stuff, guys. All right. Well, hey, great talking to you. Thanks so much. I'm sure we'll be doing... I We did one question. So I'm sure we'll have another one in the future, maybe a bunch of them. So thanks again. All right. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thanks for tuning in to another episode. I'll see you next week.